Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. I have a very special guest for you today. She is known as the lioness of marketing, Miss Martine Pierre. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Why the lioness? I'm just wondering. I have a lion tattoo, by the way, just so I'm a big lion fan. I do too. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> All, <kidding>. right. <laughs> All right. So we're connected already. And I'm a Leo. So there you go. <laughs> I- I'm a Taurus, so. But I, I have a bowl somewhere, like a Picasso uh, bowl. Nice. So I actually got the name Lioness of Marketing from a former employer. Um, I used to work in the yachting industry. Before I pivoted to cannabis, I was in the yachting industry as a marketer. And one day we were sitting in her kitchen and because I got, I was so new to yachting and like, I don't swim. Like swimming is like, black folks don't swim. Like I don't, I don't say that to generalize us. But like, no lie, we do not swim. <laughs> and you're, you're generalizing. I know a lot of black people that swim really well. So, but one of my closest friends, uh, I'll say her name, uh, Kimberly. We, I actually put on her goal list during COVID. We were talking, and it, you have to take swim lessons. So she took one, I think, and then stopped. She that still was does me. not how to swim. I was an adult <laughs> that took learned went to go swim. Like, still didn't learn how to swim. I know how to float. I float. Well, that's important. You know, Um, three quarters of the earth is uh, water. So just just saying. 
I know. So my former employer, she was like, um, you're like a lioness of yachting. And I was like, I like that. So I ended up buying the domain name. So I'm a total, that's like another hobby. I'm a total domain order. Oh, <laughs> like when I think of an idea and the only reason why that I've, I've done this is because I've had like a domain name stolen from me before. And so like, when I think of an idea, I immediately go and buy the domain. Like immediately. I don't even, I probably got like 50 domains. And that's why every time, like when I get like that renewal, I'm like, what the hell did I buy this? <laughs> But so, so back in the day, uh, like way back in the day, when domains were like very valuable things, we would sit down with a couple of my friends, get really high and then just think of random things and buy domains for them. And my friends, I stopped doing my friends and they actually made like tens of thousands of dollars selling their domains they they were getting while we were high. That's big business. Flipping domains is an actual side hustle that a lot of people do. And like, I haven't gotten into it. Like I haven't sold any of the ones that I've bought. I probably should. <laughs> but um, I immediately ended up buying that domain, Lioness of Yachting. And then I just ended up buying the Lioness of Marketing too. And then boom, I started my own marketing agency. So from there, I was freelancing and that's actually when I first got my start in cannabis because I was freelancing for a company out in California. One of my friends, he, um, well, he let's, let's go, company. let's go. I, I have a question. I want to go back to that, but before sure. we even get into cannabis or anything else, cause we talk about everything, but I, I really want to know a little bit more about you. Uh, sure. so I, I try to do my research. But I was telling you before, your 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 stuff, like it's hard to find a lot of information on you. So we're gonna let people know who Martina is. So where did you grow up? Miami, Florida, baby. I am a Miami three hundred five city girl, Haitian American. Um, absolutely love the culture here. Absolutely love the beach. Love to travel. Um, I got my MBA about 2017. I've been in school for a very long time and I'll probably never go back. Originally, I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, Ended up getting a Department of Homeland Security internship, which they took like almost a year to do my security clearance. (laughs) And then I realized that I don't like lawyers. So I... (laughs) So the day that I was supposed to go take my LSAT, like I legitimately sat in the parking lot for almost an hour and I left. Like I was like, this is not for me. I don't want to do this. So um, I ended up pivoting and going to, oh, before I even went into my marketing degree, I ended up quitting my job and I went to Africa for like a month. (laughs) Where'd you go? I went to Egypt. I did like a day in Ethiopia and I went to Uganda. I just felt like, I don't know, I was 26 years old and maybe I shouldn't have felt like I had a midlife crisis, but I felt like I (laughs) was going through a midlife crisis because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'm 26 years old. I have my bachelor's degree, which by the way, I have a bachelor's degree in philosophy because I originally thought that I was really going to go 100% full throttle into law school, but that didn't happen. So like, I'm just literally sitting here like so lost, don't know what I want to do. And then I ended up going into the MBA program and I'm like, okay, I can do marketing. Marketing is something that I've done since forever. 
when I was in college, I used to do blogging a lot for other people on the side to side hustle and things like that. And little social media marketing things and freelancing. So I was like, marketing can work for me. And, and it really did. Um, I actually ended up loving working in the marketing world. I love working with so many different companies. I've worked in wellness. I've worked with e-commerce, retail. I've worked with tourism, of course. Um, it's just something that I've always loved. And then I love to write. Like writing is my first love. I'm a total lazy content creator. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't like video, but I can write. And that's why Twitter is like probably my medium of choice to do all of my content because it allows me to be lazy and I can do it in 240 characters. Right. I know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. I, I have not mastered that because I'm very long winded. And every single time I try to post on Twitter, like you're over the character limits, so I'm deleting stuff and it doesn't make any sense. So I have to get better at that. You have to. So that's why you have that. to create Twitter threads though. Okay, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. How to, all right, well, we'll we'll get deeper into the marketing part. You're gonna have to school me on how to do that. But okay. you mentioned something that I want to kind of uh, uh, unpack a little bit. You said you're a Haitian immigrant, or for, of, were you born in Haiti, or you are of Haitian descent? I'm of Haitian descent. My parents were born in Haiti. Um, they came here in the '80s, um, so I'm a first generation. And they all all in in Miami. Right. They yep. moved to Miami from most of my family is in Miami. I still have a lot of my family who is very much so living in Haiti and living in terrible poverty right That's now. That's what I was gonna talk to you about. Have you been? Uh, I've been to Haiti. Haiti. Um one of the things that I love so much about Haiti and I, I hope and one of my bigger missions, like my life goal, is to eventually go back to Haiti and one, build a school in my parents' name in the places that they came. And two I would love to bring the cannabis industry to Haiti. I think the cannabis in, in Haiti would thrive, especially on the hemp side for industrial hemp and things like that. I think it would be such a huge benefit to the country and it would help with the GDP growing and it would definitely help with helping making sure that the economy is more sustainable for people. Because the reality is in Haiti, the infrastructure is so bad and it's old so when these earthquakes happen, it's always so much more death than it should be because of the type of living conditions that these people are already living in. And like about a year ago, I ended up reading, and that's why I got so interested in cannabis too, about, it wasn't even a year ago, I would say probably about two, three years ago, I ended up reading this blog from a guy who is an environmental science, and he talked about how Haiti can be saved by growing hemp. And he went into full detail. He started talking about how it can revitalize the soil in Haiti. It can also ensure that people have better quality of living. People can create group economics through farming and different types of things like that. And it just really sparked in my mind how much cannabis can be utilized as a crop to help third world countries. But what do you think? So... Um, when Chernobyl happened in the Russia and the Soviet Union, when Chernobyl, they planted hemp around all that site to absorb a lot of the radiation. So oh, wow. hemp, hemp is a, like, we're talking about green, and this is the best crop you can plant to be able to revitalize the soil and everything else. What do you think the biggest challenge 
in Haiti is for doing that because there's so many enterprises, uh, you know, like Wyclef uh, uh, and his group was trying to do a lot of work there and they, they still are. And I, I've had um, Chris Schwartz on my show, who was uh, the CEO of Rough House Records, who's good friends with like Lauren Hill. And there was a lot of work he was telling me that they were introducing into Haiti, but there's an obstacle there. From from my standpoint, I'm I'm just going to put it. Ask you, uh, corruption. Correct. Right? So oh, you're, so I, you're, I was just about to say corruption. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's what it, it's same thing in Africa. That's why I was talking yeah. in Africa. Same, like so, you get you get money, you get business, you get incentive, but then you have somebody that's skimming off the top, and it's not trickling down to anybody. So you know, yes, it's a great idea to be able to do that, but how do you change the culture of corruption there so everybody can benefit? I think. So I've been having a lot of conversations with people on the ground floor, and I'm a part of a couple of different associations and different groups. And there's one particular group where they're, um, they've been talking a lot about blockchain technology in Haiti, and they've also been talking about Haitians and tech. I think that's a big deal because for me, I don't think that any, Haiti will never see any changes if the outside diaspora doesn't come in and make it happen because these people don't have the means they they're not thinking about trying to they just, they're trying they're on survival mode 365 so they're not even thinking about oh I can start this business I can't I can't even eat my stomach is touching my back at the end of the day my children are hungry I don't have a roof over my head like how can I sit here and even think about trying to educate myself about something or trying to do better when I can't even get the basic things that I need, like food and shelter and water? So it's a, it's so many layers when it comes to Haiti. It's the corruption. It's the gang violence. There's just so many different layers that you would have to work around. But from the people that, first of all, I'm hearing that there's a lot of people who already grow weed. And him in Haiti already. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, For sure. Now, would it be legal one day? I think it can be, but it we have to have a very serious government. It starts with the government. Because if you can start at the government and you can get in, in good with the government and you're able to show them, hey, this is what can happen if we adopt this plan. Here are the strategies. Like, Literally, when I saw that Kanye West went to Haiti, I, like the first thing that came to my mind, I'm like, yo, they could literally grow a hemp farm and he could be producing Yeezy clothes that's made with hemp to support the economy. Like that literally can be one way that people who are here in the United States can be helping Haiti, right? Just bringing their business because there's a lot of different factories in Haiti already. Levi's is in Haiti. Um, there's a Hanes is in Haiti. There's a lot of different um, things in Haiti in terms of clothes. So even when I think about the hemp side and clothes, I'm like, that would work out. But the corruption, yeah. it's just like Africa. Like there is just too many global leaders who got their hands in, inside of the pot. Well, maybe there is a way to look at another country as a model, like Colombia, for instance, right? So Colombia was obviously known for the drug violence, corruption, all that other stuff. So I remember, I don't know, maybe it was like 2018 or something. I was in Colombia and then they legalized cannabis. But so I'm giving a talk and there is a guy standing in the back of my talk 
who is sort of, uh, you know, got his arms folded and like really kind of grim. And then I walked off and uh, the ex-president of Mexico, Vincente Fox, was uh, was giving his talk. And the guy's like shaking his head and I don't really speak Spanish, sort of understand here and there. And like he's got broken English and we're, I started asking him, like, what, what's the deal? So he said he was an ex, uh, uh, he was related to an organized crime uh, or whatever they were doing uh, on, the, on the black market in, the, in Colombia. He goes, me and my family were growing cannabis for years, uh, for generations. And now you guys are coming in with big business and you're going to take away our livelihood. So I was saying, I was like, it doesn't have to work that way. I'm like, why don't you just flip what you're doing in a licensed entity and maybe partner with one of these companies that can actually help you do that and then create a structure, a legal structure that can create. So it took a long time for them and still not 100%. There is a lot of money that's coming to Colombia from the international market because they now have some sort of infrastructure in place. So I think something like that uh, can work in Haiti, but it's going to take some time and it, yeah. and the change has to happen at the government level the corruption has to end and it's got to trickle down to everybody and you're absolutely right i mean they're not thinking they're not thinking what can i do to open up my business they're thinking what am i going to do to eat and if uh, if Kanye opens up his uh, Yeezus company or whatever it is that he's going to do hemp clothing how do you know that you know uh, the family that's on the, on the ground there what are they going to get from that so that's that's kind of uh, uh, a whole infrastructure conversation, but it's interesting to me uh, that you know in Africa it's the same thing, and and going into the, a lot of these different countries and seeing they think cannabis is a solution. The Congo and a lot of different places I, I, I was I was at and, and and talked to people. This is a solution, but it's a solution with the people that have money now or farmers that it's got to work out a way that they can get all that revenue going to you know the people that really need that the workers who are not taking advantage of the people. The thing that fascinates me about Haiti is that the agricultural processes that happen in Haiti are all done by women. It's a women-led country because who are farming the land because the men aren't farming the land. It's like, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Well, what are the men doing? <laughs> Everything else terrorizing people. Yes. <laughs> Everything else in the village. But it's the women who are putting the seeds in, growing, plant, doing everything. They're doing every single step inside of the agricultural process over there. And that's what is so amazing to me because I'm like, if you support a business and what really like got my brain turning because I'm like, yo, like if we have the opportunity to go into Haiti, get a group of women, be able to build a small little structure to where they can have some sustainable type of farming. And we teach them all about hemp, how to grow it, how to sell it, how to market it. And Haiti opens up a system to where they can import and export things. I would much prefer exporting, of course. Um, Can you imagine like the way that you can change people's lives by doing that? I just don't think that they really... I don't think that Haiti, first of all, we ain't even got a president. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's start there. We don't even have a president right now. <laughs> um, but my high hopes is that within this decade, 
we can see some changes and that we get a government that actually cares because it's, it's a reality of not getting people in the office that actually give a damn. These people don't give a shit. They don't care. They're here for a check. They're here to line up their pockets. They're going to terrorize people. And that's what they do. But if we get someone who comes into Haiti, who truly cares about what they want to do, even when you think about tourism, I think cannabis tourism in Haiti would be amazing because Labadi and Jacques those places are untouched natural beauty. Like they are so beautiful. These are places that like, I love seeing them. But when you see this image, the propaganda that's out there, when you see the images of Haiti, you only see the violence. And we have to keep in mind that this violence is very isolated in one part of Haiti, which is Port-au-Prince, the capital. But the whole entire country gets tainted and painted as this violent, war-driven, gang war-driven country. And that's just not what it is because you're hurting the other people who are in this country as well with that narrative. Yeah, I mean, it's a great message that you set forth. That's 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 how the news operates. I remember, so I, I'm from Philly, but I live in LA. And I remember my parents calling up, oh my God, are you guys okay? They're burning down the city. It's going to hell. I'm like, I don't, I don't see anything there. Like there's pockets, like they watch the news. It's like the fires. Oh my God, are you guys okay? Because there's fires. I'm like, the fire is not my, yes, there's a fire. Yes, we do deal with this every year, but it's not here, you know? So they just watch the news and see that. And that's going to, uh, that's definitely something that, you know, is not going to change. The news is always going to show you what the sensationalized kind of uh, uh, parts of the, the world are. Uh, but, question my ADD kicked in you were talking about yachting I'm just I'm just curious so you not being a swimmer but you have to do you have to go on the yachts and the the years so tell me about that experience uh what was going through your mind are you wearing like five light uh life jackets and and stuff as you go (laughs) you know what's crazy like so I ended up actually meeting my boyfriend from, so let me tell you about my whole swimming debacle, right? Tell me, tell me. <laughs> when, so I had a trip to go to Grenada and we were doing a yacht charter show in Grenada. My former employer was the one who was putting the entire event on and I was helping her with it. Um, there was a day where one of the activities we had to do is to see the underwater sculpture park. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't miss that. Like, how could I possibly be in this beautiful island? And I mean, Grenada is like gorgeous. It's one of those lesser known islands that people don't always go to. It's really beautiful. I'm like, how the hell can I not see this? So like I've posted on Facebook and I was like, oh my gosh, like, is there anyone who can teach me how to swim? Like, I will pay you. So so I have a I have mutual friends. This guy who's mutual friends with some of my friends wrote me. He's like, hey, you know, I know how to swim really well and I can meet up with you a couple of days out the week until your trip and I'll teach you how to swim. So like for like almost two months straight, he was teaching me how to swim. And mind you, I learned I learned like I remembered some of those things, but it's me being in the middle of the ocean. That's what like really like me getting off the boat. I have no problem being on a boat. I don't get seasickness. Mind you, I was on little boats going all throughout the BVIs from island hopping. Okay. Like we would literally island hop on some of the little ringy, the dinghies. Um, But I never felt bad. Like I'm like, if I die, I die. (laughs) I died in paradise. (laughs) 
Man, that's that's funny. <laughs> then no seasickness, but but you can float. You so all right. Well, I can look, float. if you can float, if you can float, uh, that's the first step. It's getting over the fear, knowing that no matter what, I can always float. And I'm not going to drown. And then it's like you know, doggy paddle or something like that first. Um, so why cannabis? Tell me how the cannabis journey started. I know you started talking about it, and I interrupted you. So let's let's go back to that. So there was there's a number of reasons for cannabis. Like one, I have a sibling who unfortunately had to deal with the trauma of the war on drugs. So you know, less than twenty grams made him become forced him into entrepreneurship. Like my brother was legitimately when he was like twenty five, he ended up being arrested, and like it completely screwed him over. He wasn't able to find work and like, he just wasn't able to find anything that would sustain him. So he ended up going into entrepreneurship. He'd always been an athlete anyways. Like my brother was a football star, all those track and field things. So he became a personal trainer. But um, like around 2016, that's when I really started getting a really big interest in the cannabis space. And me, myself, I was a late bloomer to cannabis. I didn't start smoking until about, I was 25 years old. And the only reason why I started smoking was because I ended up getting like a $3,000 ER bill for period cramps. And then this guy that I was dating told me, he was like, why you just don't smoke a joint? Mm-hmm. Like, well, Queen, right. You know, Queen Victoria used to uh, take cannabis for her cramps. So it's been done for hundreds, thousands of years, probably. Makes total sense. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you're right. I'd rather, I'd rather a joint than to have to pay $3,000 to the ER for Motrin, because that's exactly what they gave me, Motrin. That did absolutely nothing. Um, So originally, what I wanted to do was to start a subscription box service for cannabis, but specifically for women. And around that time, cannabis, like, you know, it was all about the skater dudes. It wasn't, like, really trying to target women. They really didn't have anything towards women. So I was like, I want to create a subscription box that's an experience for self-care for women and weed. (laughs) And I didn't get to do that. Hopefully I can one day. (laughs) But um, when I started doing my research on cannabis, I just couldn't like understand how I could even get into the industry. And then like, YouTube University, you're falling into this rabbit hole of like nothingness. There's so much information online about cannabis that you just really have no clue or no idea if this information is even correct or if it's outdated or if it's it. You just have no idea. So as I kept doing my research, I'm like, yo. And then I found out that in Florida, vertical integration is alive and well. Um, I was like, okay, I don't have 20 to $50 million for a license. This is never going to happen for me. So I just, I just told myself, okay, it is what it is. I continued freelancing in the space. Um, I freelance, I started freelancing in the space in 2018. And then from there, like one day, so during like in the June of like 2020, because this is during like all the protests after George Floyd was murdered. Um, I got really upset that I kept seeing so many cannabis companies were posting black squares and talking about how they want to support more black and brown entrepreneurs in the space and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, let's see your, let's see your executive suite. What do they look like? 
do they look like me? Because if they don't, then like, what are we doing here? Um, so I posted on Twitter. I was like, yo, and mind you, like I had already done my research because I was working as a freelancer. So I had a plenty of research that I had done for this company. And so I was constantly learning. I'm a person, I'm a forever student. Like I love to learn. So I'm always reading. I'm always taking a course or something. And, um, so I just posted on Twitter. I was like, yo, if I started a Slack group, to share resources because I want to help more black and brown women. I want to help more black men and women get into the candidate space. Would anybody be interested in joining? I'm thinking like only two or three people were going to respond. No, I have like 4,000 retweets, like 2,000 responses on the tweet. That wasn't even accounting for how much thousands of people sent me DMs who said, hey, I want to be a part of this Slack group. And I was like, wait a minute, I must be on to something. And that's when I had like this light bulb going into my head. I'm like, okay, I cannot accommodate all these people who are coming into my inbox. So I hurried up and I created, I'm a marketer by heart. So I created a landing page. It was ugly, but it was working. <laughs> I created a landing page really quickly. So I just basically told people from the tweet, I was like, hey, if you're really serious about joining this um, this platform and joining us, go ahead and sign up for this wait list and we'll let you know when it's available. We have right now to date, we have over 4,000 people on that wait list. Um, and it was all from Twitter. Like I, I, I never had any intention to start a company that is tech, let alone in cannabis. <laughs> so like this entire company kind of like fell in my lap. And it wasn't until like people started writing me. And the, the crazier thing too is I started getting messages from people in Colombia. I started getting messages from people in Africa telling me, hey, it's not equitable here either. I even got a message from a guy in Australia. He's a, a, a Latin male in Australia. And I'm like, this is crazy. So equity is not just a problem in the United States. It's a problem on a global scale in Canada. So how do we fight this? Like, how do we, how do we fix this? How do we make this better? So that day... I ended up calling one of my brother's clients and friends. She's like this, um, she's a founder of a 100K incubator and she does a lot of work with um, startups and women. So I called her and I was like, hey, you know, I had this tweet go viral because I had always told her about cannabis and me owning cannabis. And I was like, you know, I think you should see this. So I go to her house. She tells me, come to her house. And like, I show her like everything and I show her all the tweets and all the people writing me. Oh, and- people from the cannabis industry started writing me. I started getting CMOs. I started getting, I had so many major founders from like different companies. And we're talking about major MSOs writing me on Twitter. All of them asking me, hey, I heard you're doing something to cannabis. What is it that you're doing? Blah, blah, blah. It didn't materialize so much, but hey, you know, it was just funny (laughs) that so many people noticed that tweet. So I go to her house. And she's like, all right, brain dump everything that you ever wanted to do in cannabis. So I sat down, I wrote down absolutely everything that I wanted to do in the cannabis space and how I wanted to create what I saw and what I was understanding. And we sat back and I was like, okay, I think this is it. And she's like, what do you want to call this? And I was like, 
Cantalution. She's like, why Cantalution? She was like, because we're the revolution. I said, because... Oh, okay. Cantalution, revolution. Okay. I was like, because we're the cannabis revolution. I said, that's why I want to call it Cantalution. We're the solution. We're the revolution. Like, that's us. That's yeah, I was I was thinking more solution, but but now it makes more sense. <laughs> Revolution, solution, got it. So that's pretty much how I got, you know, catapulted into the cannabis industry. It was all from that viral tweet. Well, so there's a first a couple of things. Number one thing you said, uh, you just answered a very important question that people ask me all the time. How do I get into cannabis space? How do I get in the industry? And I always tell people the same thing is like, what do you like to do? What do you do? Well, I'm a marketer. I'm an accountant. I'm a whatever that is. Why don't you take that skill set and just apply that to cannabis? It doesn't mean the barrier of entry doesn't mean you have to get a cannabis license and open up a dispensary or grow. It doesn't mean that. There's many different jobs that you can do. Uh, as ancillary jobs, like, you know, my company doesn't have anything. We don't touch the plant. We're not, we're an ancillary company. We do DNA testing. But if somebody is a neuroscientist that comes in and they want to be in the cannabis space, great. Now they're an ancillary way to get in the cannabis space. Uh, So I think that's, that's a great um, way to be able to answer that question for people. How do I get in the cannabis space? Just do what you do. Transfer Um, your skills. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about <clears throat> this thing with, uh, you know, uh, black and brown people in the cannabis space. And you mentioned you mentioned this, uh, you know, solidarity and then not having anybody on your board and not having any executives that are that look like you, the same, you know, just plain devil's advocate. Can you show solidarity and support without have maybe you didn't find the right candidate uh, that's uh, black or brown or can you still s- show support or do you have to you have to have somebody who looks like you to have that empathy for that uh for the you know that person in order to you know kind of have solidarity for for the cause no i think you absolutely can have solidarity so this is all a learning experience right i think that as a ceo as a company you have to learn to adapt. Um, so I absolutely do believe that you can have empathy to work with and want to see more black and pe- brown people in the space and not have that. But to solidify it for me in my mind, if you are serious about people having equity, that means you're going to put more black and brown people at the top. Because the reality is when you... There's, and I'm going to say this because it's so crazy for me, like right now, especially in fundraising, Black women fundraise less than what, 0.006% of trillions of dollars. When you don't have somebody that looks like us in a space where they're making the big decisions, we get overlooked. And it's not necessarily a case of racism. It could just be bias. You just, when you are used to creating things for yourself and what I noticed in the cannabis industry, I'm like, so many of these products don't speak to me because it's white men creating these products for white men. They're not creating it for women. They're not creating it for black folks. They're not creating it for Asian people. They're not creating it for Asians. They're creating it for themselves. They're looking at themselves in the mirror and this is the type of products that they're creating. I literally seen them doing canna bumps. Why the hell would I want to snort my weed? (laughs) 
<laughs> Why would I want to as a white male? I wouldn't want to do that either. <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's just stoner culture that sits there and says, hey, you know, this sounds interesting to me. Yeah, rolling back the cannabis discussion. I've been I've been in the cannabis space for I don't know. 27, whatever years. I, I was an owner and operator of five dispensaries where I was the only white person in the entire, uh, in all five dispensaries. Everybody else was of different mixed race. So I always thought, man, there's no better melting pot. There's no better way to bring people together because we're starting an industry from scratch. Basically, that was in the dark ages for years. You know, we were, we're doing... Uh, you know, gray market, black market, whatever you want to uh, name it. But man, what an incredible opportunity to have this melting pot. And then what happened over time is, as happens with every industry, now big money Wall Street gets involved. I'm sitting there at, at meetings with these people who've never, ever tried cannabis, but they're making decisions uh, on funding, on operating companies, but they have no relationship to the plan whatsoever. So I think that, number one, having their relationship equals the playing field. Number two, there's also this whole thing of expungement that you were talking about, you know, you know your brother. I mean, I, myself, I know many, many people that have gone down this journey and like uh, Steve D'Angelo and his group uh, with The Last Prisoner Project, I mean, like being able to look at people whose lives are ruined. I'll tell you a quick story. I was... Uh, I was in an area in, in uh, uh, outside of Los Angeles, like a, uh, an hour north or so, called Adelanto. So this area was approved, one of the first areas that was approved for cultivation. They have indoor cultivation uh, before, you know, before, you know, the state allowed everything. There's a prison right next to the cultivation facilities. Wow. There, you drive into Adelanto, it smells like weed. I know they have exhausts everywhere, but it's, I mean, there's warehouses everywhere. They're growing cannabis. It smells like it. There's open bars. There's people just sitting in the prison for cannabis, smelling cannabis is legally grown right next door to them. Now, where is the legality of that? It makes no logical sense that we have this amazing plant. And uh, that's why I wanted to so I wanted to ask you, and you kind of brought this up, but I wanted to see what is what are some of the obstacles that face black and brown people in, in the industry that you would think that are different than would face that anybody else would face that's not uh, you know black or brown? Access to capital. That's the number one issue for every single person that I've spoken to who are black and brown in the space. It's access to capital, and for me, even me. Access to capital was the hardest. I'm still bootstrapping this company. We haven't raised a single dollar. And I mean, granted, it's the industry that we're in. And two, like the market's not that great. Like everything is. So I I take that into consideration. Like I I know for sure, like I started a company in a pandemic and I'm going to eat that. (laughs) Um, Access to capital, access to capital in the cannabis space. So full disclosure. My company is raising our Series B. We've been raising our Series B, and we we did a little bit uh, for 16 months. I've never, I've raised uh, capital for four different companies in the past. Uh, Our Series A was much easier. So the, the timing of this whole thing is extremely complicated and difficult for everybody across the board. I'm, I'm just trying to step in your shoes and see how, how it's different. 
because I'm knocking the same doors. I'm doing the same pro formas. I'm doing everything else, getting the same rejections. Uh, but I'm just trying to figure out what I'm not seeing and how you have additional obstacles to overcome. And I'm, I'm, I think it's also like just knowing who the right people, right? We're not even some, some most of them aren't even getting these meetings. Like at least you have the opportunity to get that no. We're not getting the meeting. That's where it really lies because in the VC world, they want those warm introductions. We don't get those warm introductions. And even then, a lot of times, and this is not just cannabis, it's for any space for black and brown people when it comes to raising capital for startups. We don't necessarily have family and friends to have a family and friend round. So even when we're starting the business, we're starting much lower than someone who has access to capital from their family and friends to get that start, to even get that start, to start the business and actually push it to a place to where a person who wants to fund it says, all right, you're good where you're at. I think this is a good place for me to go ahead and put some money into it. We don't even have access to that. It took me two years to build an MVP app. It should have taken me six months. But because I don't have that access to capital and I'm doing this on my own and I'm not, by the way, I'm not a technical founder and we don't have a technical founder yet, um, which we're still getting one, but it took me much longer to do something that should have taken me six months to a year. And that's because we're not getting those meetings. We're not getting those warm introductions. We're not getting those family and friend rounds. And I think that's one of the key pieces. When you talk about Black wealth, they're saying that Black wealth is going to be at zero by 2053. And when you look at the median wealth for Black families and for white families, it's much different. And all that lays back to, I mean, all that, of course, lays back to slavery and lays back all the way to everything that's happened with civil rights movements and Jim Crow and redlining and all those things. But we have to understand it's because we don't have generational wealth to tap into for us to even have a fighting chance for our businesses to thrive. Well, so I'm an immigrant. I was born in Lithuania. My parents came here with $500 in their pockets. Yes, we have white privilege completely, completely recognized and understood. My parents didn't even know the language for years and years. I don't have generational wealth. I, and, and I'm, I'm asking this uh, because I asked this of, of my black and brown friends because I'm trying to learn and educate myself. I'm an annoying motherfucker. I had so many VCs tell me, man, you're just, you're just nonstop. I'm a relentless so I don't care what color, what ethnicity, what hair color you, I don't give a shit. I need to do this. And I believe that I have something that is going to revolutionize the world, but I need your capital. So I'm knocking on doors. I don't, I don't have those relationships either. I don't have their, their friends and family around. My friends and family around was we're bootstrapping and we're knocking on doors of people that we don't know and saying, would you like to invest? So I guess what I'm asking is, that you have an additional obstacle because not only is your MVP, your business plan, uh, your your idea may be fantastic, but because you don't have the lineage or maybe you don't have the history of success with this, maybe people have more trepidation and they have more trust in me because I look like them. Is that is that a, an area? That- Absolutely. Someone definitely is going to have much more trust. When you... 
they literally, I literally just saw a study like a couple of days ago and it was of black and brown teeth of black teachers and white teachers. And they were looking at kindergarten students and they were looking at a black, a black little boy, one little black girl, and the rest of them were white students. The Teachers kept their eye on the black student majority of the time, the little boy. So inherently, and it was both black and white teachers, right? So inherently, people make these preconceived notions in their mind before they even speak to someone sometimes, just based off of what they look like, their color, what they sound like, or even their name. Because sometimes my name might give off what what my ethnicity is. And you might be like, hey, I'm good. Who knows? You know what I'm saying? So I think it's a number of things, but I don't disagree with you. Like, I don't victimize myself. I told myself at the end of the day, I know what I'm building is a mammoth of a company and it's going to take time and greatness takes time. And I'm okay with that because I'm in it for the long haul. We're going to be here for the next 100 years. My kids, go. kids going to have this company at the end of the day. There you go. Um, I love that. So there's different types of levels and different type of people. You either one of those people that's going to swing or sink or swim. And I'm a yeah. swimmer, baby. I was, I'm a shark. I was born swimming. Yeah. You're, you're a swimmer with floaties though. That's cool. <laughs> but I'm going to get there though. You're going to get there the eventually. Point. <laughs> That's the point. Like, I'm one of those people, like, I will not back down. And not everybody is like me. You know what I'm saying? So exactly. if they'll get discouraged, and I understand that as a black and brown founder and as a black and brown entrepreneur, you will get discouraged. And that's understandable. But me, like, I don't, I don't believe in the word no. That, that's, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's so cool that you just said this, because uh, when I talk to people, <clears throat> in, and even when I give talks, people start using this victim mentality, right? So they connect themselves to something. Oh, I can because I am from Iowa and we don't have, we don't have this opportunity. You're in, you're in California. So it's different. So everybody looks at the, why the reasons why they can't. And I think it's flipped the opposite. And let's look at the strengths and look at the reasons why we can. And I think the name thing, you actually mentioned something that's interesting. So when I, I used to hire people, for different roles, uh, not even the CEO of my company, from my previous company. But uh, when people come in for an interview, they thought my name, was, I, they thought I was Asian because my name is Len May. So when Asian people come in, they thought I was, and they, they're looking at me and I'm having the interview. And afterwards, I'm like, yeah, you have any questions for me? And they're smiling. And I had so many people like, oh, we, what's, what are you smiling about? Like, we thought you were Asian based on your name. I'm like, oh, really? I never even thought of that. Len May is Asian, but yeah. So people do have those preconceived notions about yeah, your ethnicity, whatever, based on your name. And let me know where my, my name came from. Um, I read somewhere about NFTs that you're also involved in In that. Is, is that correct? Maybe you can school me a little bit because my friend Kimberly was trying to educate me. My friend Alex was trying. I don't understand any of this stuff. So what's the way? What's the uh, how, how can you educate me? Like, how about this? I'll teach you how to swim. You teach me about NFTs. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So NFTs are really simple. So let's say let me give you a perfect example. Right. Let's say you want to start charging people a subscription fee for the podcast. The subscription fee is five ninety nine a month. So you charge them for the three year, a yearly price, but you put it into three years and that's going to be the fee for the NFT. 
So you create that NFT and someone purchases the NFT and now they have that smart contract on their phone. So when they want to be able to redeem what they just purchased from you, all they have to do is, all you have to do is see what they purchased from the blockchain. Because everything that goes on the blockchain, you cannot, you cannot duplicate anything on the blockchain. You can only transfer it. So the beauty of NFTs is that it's ownership. You have real ownership of whatever it is that you buy. But people look at NFTs as just a JPEG, but it's so much more than that. People really purchase it for the utility of what comes with it. A lot of these things are memberships. Look at Board Ape Yacht, right? This is one of the biggest NFTs in the world. What I love that they did, one of their utilities is that you can use your Board Ape and use it for any commercial uses. So you can make t-shirts with it. I've seen a guy who just did a restaurant with it. Um, like there's a food truck, a guy did a food truck with his. So there's so many different ways that you can utilize your image to make money because it's like your likeness. So there's different types of perks that you can add it. So now let's say for your particular NFT collection, right? These are the perks that they're going to be getting with their NFT when they purchase it from being for cannabis personal, right? So they're going to get a perk of a one-on-one call with you. They're going to be able to pick your brain for 15 minutes. Two, they're also going to be able to get exclusive access to behind the scenes and also get exclusive access to episodes that have never aired before. Three, they'll get a T-shirt that comes in the mail. You can attach physical products to your NFTs, right? And four, every year they'll have an opportunity to come to one of your annual retreats. That can be the utilities that you have for your NFT memberships. And those are the things that people are going to be buying into it for. But you have to have some sort of image representing that, right? So it you can be what sort of- you can. Listen, you can literally download. Let's say you want to download a ticket. You can have a ticket for an event that you're going to do, upload it to the blockchain, sell it as an NFT. And when somebody comes to the front gate to sign in, they pop up their NFT. You get to scan the ticket and they get to come inside. It's very cool. I, I, I was so my publisher who just actually filed bankruptcy for my book. They were they started having this whole NFT discussion of what they can do and it never really materialized. But I would say uh, you brought us some good points. What can maybe there's a package that I can put together with an image and say, hey, you'll have an exclusive autograph copy of the book. You'll have maybe what we'll do is we'll give you a discount on a DNA test and we'll store your uh, you know, you know, access to your DNA on the blockchain so nobody else gets it kind of thing. So something exclusive. It's just, all about providing me. the user with perks. A lot of people look at it. It's, listen, I don't like going into the technicals. Even when you talk about Web3, I'm like, listen, I only know certain parts of Web3. I'm not an expert, but I understand it enough to be like, okay, I can do this. I ended up going to the Bitcoin conference and I also went to the NFT Miami conference and I learned about NFTs in one week and the following week I incorporated into my business strategy. Ah, there you go. So business strategy, let's go back and thank you for educating me. That was ver- really good explanation. I think I makes a lot more sense now. Um, so tell me what your business goals is. Where are you going with your company? What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to achieve? What support do you need? What are you looking for? Maybe there's a, maybe the audience can help. 
<laughs> so um, first things first, like right now we're currently in beta. We just got approved by Apple. So we have Congrats. been inviting. Thank you. I'm so happy. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, been a, long it's time a big coming. win. You got you to gotta celebrate your wins. I celebrate sure. every, listen, for <laughs> where we, listen, to start from a tweet to an app in 20 months, I feel like that's something to be proud of. 100%. I definitely feel like that's something to be proud of. But um, for us right now, we're in beta. So I'm one of those very hands-on type of people. I like to foster community by having real conversations. Because I'm dealing with the early users, I've been having like weekly meetups with them. So I will talk to them about features. What do you want to see? What type of content do you want to have? So Canolution, let, let's even explain what Canolution does, right? We're an ed tech platform. So our goal is 100% all about cannabis education. Are you familiar with Masterclass? I, I know what a Masterclass is, yeah. No, no, no. But are you familiar with a company masterclass? Oh, no, maybe, maybe not. So there's a company called Masterclass where you've probably seen it, where Chris Jenner just had one. Um, they do it with Nas and they basically oh, hire yeah, celebrities yeah. to do yeah, masterclasses. I know what you're talking about. Yep. So yep. think cannabis, but a cannabis masterclasses. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my biggest goals. So I have an MBA. I take courses and I hate them. I don't like the way that our current academia is. All of the cannabis educational courses that I have seen were very Udemy style. And I cannot do those Udemy style courses because by module two, I am done. Like, I don't even get to module 10 if there is a 10. So one of the things that we really wanted to do was to create a space to where we're creating educational content that's easy, easier to digest. All the information for cannabis and starting a business when I really started searching is so hard to understand. It took me so long to understand what terpenes were because I'm like, why does this sound like scientist language? I need someone to dumb this down for me like I'm a fifth grader. So is this going to be like video based or is it going to be like It's going to uh, be video based, audio based. We're also going to have blogs. We're also launching a podcast as well that will be directly on the app that people will have access to. So we have two sides to the app. We have an educational side with our free content and then we have the premium side which is Candelution University where we you will get access to all of the educational content. Right now we're also signing up multiple people who have been in the industry for countless years who coming on board for instructors. They want to be instructors. We've had plenty of people who have told us that they want to be instructors, that they want to help more black and brown people get into this space and they want to do it correctly. But for me, it's about vetting the right people, right? We want to make sure that people are getting the right information and we want to make sure that that's why we also created a subscription model because it's so much information. We have to go not just by country. We got to go by country. Then we got to go by state. Then we got to go by city. Then we got to go by local. Or like It's going to be such a massive undertaking as we continue to create this content. So it had to be a yearly subscription business model. Um, and yearly, we're going to continue to add videos to the content library. We're going to be teaching everything from the science of the plant. Because to me, I think it's really important that you understand the science of cannabis before you even come into the space. You are dealing with, this is still medicine. I want people to 100% understand that a lot of people use this for medicine. So if you're going to come into this space, you need to have the integrity and understand that I'm coming into a space that is medicine for a lot of people. Treat mm-hmm. this plant with respect. Okay. That's one. How do you, how do you, um, 
do your due diligence on on a couple of things, the content that you're presenting and also the, the people who are going to present that content because there's a lot of quote-unquote experts in the field. Uh, I get called one of them and I sort of push off and say, I'm a freaking student. I know very little, but I am super curious and I want to learn a lot. So if that makes me something more, you can do the same thing. Go learn and, and study. But how do you how do you vet that? Are you are you looking at, you know, people who have an established career in the industry, like as you were mentioning masterclass, and then the content that is created, is it is it based on peer-reviewed research, which is, you know, limited as it is? I'm just curious how you do that. So right now, the way that we're definitely vetting people to come on board as instructors is, of course, we're looking at their background and their resume. What has your, first of all, what have you built in this space? What have you built that has been successful in this space? Because it's one thing to build something and it's another thing to build something that's successful. Um, so that's one of the things that we're definitely looking at. And then and how long have you been in this space? You know, I want people who got some skin in the game. I need somebody who got seasoning on them. Okay, I want that cast iron season skillet type of person that's coming into this space because you're great, gray in, the, gray in the beard. Some yes, beard. yes, we need the silver foxes. By the way, I used to have hair before I started in the cannabis industry, just letting you know. You did what now? <laughs> I used to have hair before I started in cannabis, and it all left as soon as I started. Did it lose in from the industry? The industry, <laughs> the industry <laughs> took it all away. That's stress <laughs> of the industry, it's all gone. <laughs> Listen, my my boyfriend's bald, so I understand. Like, I love I love his bald head. <laughs> but um, we definitely make sure that this person has skin in the game. You don't want to just put anybody to be teaching these master classes. And then we're very specific about the type of master classes that we're teaching. Right? You want to don't. First of all, I don't want to teach people that a license. And like you said earlier, every single person that has come to me, and we've done surveys. So like. We've surveyed people on our wait list and a lot of them have told us the type of content that they want to see anyways. So we literally built the entire app around our wait list. We utilize the wait list so that we can build the content and so that we can build the app as well. They told us exactly what they want to see, the people they want to see and what they want to learn. And one of the things that I realized was that not everybody wants to be a business owner. Some people just want to be investors. And I think that's makes sense because at the end of the day, not everybody should be a business owner. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to invest in businesses that they don't have to do the day-to-day operations. So we want to teach people that there's other ways to have equity in this industry without having a license. We need to redefine what equity means to us in this space. And it doesn't have to mean that you have to have a retail or cultivation license. There is so much opportunity in this space in ancillary businesses and you transferring skills that you already have. Why do you want to go and spend all that money? And then another thing that I loved about going viral was that a lot of people started sending me some free stuff. (laughs) So like, but on top of that, I paid some of them because I like paying people. I believe in paying people for the stuff that they they curate and they do for you. So one of these, I always talk about him every single episode that I have with people. So there's this dude who sent me this cannabis-infused hot sauce. Let me tell you, <laughs> I carried it in my purse, okay? That's how good it was. So when I look at people like that coming onto the platform 
And then I look at these multi-state operators who are telling me, hey, we would love to have more shelf space for black and brown people. We're building that bridge. There's so many ways that strategic partnerships can be built with legacy people, with multi-state operators. Why are you not leveraging these relationships and leveraging legacy people customers? Because let's keep it real. People will shop with their local weed man all day, every day. And if their local weed man tells them, hey, I just got this strand into this dispensary, go ahead and check it out. I'm going to check out my weed man strand because I have that relationship and that bond with him. I think MSOs need to start leveraging the legacy market a little bit more. And that's one of the things that I've noticed that they they try to shy away from. And it's like, yo, there's so much that's going on. New York has one of the most organized legacy markets I have ever seen in my life. Okay. From the trucks to the little mini dispensaries that people be having, like it's so organized. And I think that MSOs can learn a lot from people in the legacy market and that there's a lot of strategic partnerships that can happen in the legacy market to where a person is not putting that upfront cash and can still take Mm -hmm. their products to mass production. Yeah, no, I absolutely 100% agree. Like, uh, you know, I had this conversation with Al Harrington before who, uh, who's definitely in support of, you know, as an MSO, basically for his product, Viola, he's able to open up these shops and, and provide jobs for black and brown people, invest in, in, in those companies as well. And he's got a mix of, you know, there's corporate and then there's people who are coming from legacy. So it's a really nice mix because he can check checks and balances of each other from each other. And I had this conversation recently in boardroom. And, and I, as I mentioned previously, we're going around the circle and they talking about cannabis experiences. Only one single person at the table actually had experience with cannabis. I'm lying. There's two people that two other people that had like, I smoked a joint in college once and I didn't like it. So I never touched it again kind of thing, but they really don't know. So not having that kind of uh, experience with the plant, I think makes a lot of sense. I just thought of something and you probably already thought of this, but I'm just putting it out there. I think it's an interesting platform, especially, uh, you know, supporting equity and social equity. Have you uh, thought about like uh, approaching HBCUs and and saying like we have a training module that we can get people as they graduate to move right into the cannabis space. But here maybe you can use this as a platform to in the in those universities. Absolutely, it's one of the things that we definitely so for the long term, like our long because you asked me about our long term goals. For our long term goals, we eventually want to license out our material because I see the I see the value in it. I realized that entrepreneurship was not being taught in a lot of these courses for cannabis education. So many of the cannabis education courses that are available to us right now are geared towards empowering people to go into the workforce. I ain't got nothing wrong with that. I'm not against that. But in my personal opinion, the only way that Black and brown people can have equity is through ownership. And to me, Ownership, like I continuously tell people, doesn't necessarily mean a license. It can mean so many other things. The amount of opportunity in this space is not just global. It's also vast, like from sector to sector. We haven't even touched the industrial side of hemp in this country like that. Like, I literally just read about somebody creating car batteries with hemp plastic. 
there's so much that hasn't been uncovered with this plant. Why limit yourself? And why limit yourself and put yourself in debt? Because let's be real, a lot of the companies that have put money forth to get these licenses are no longer here. They're no longer here. Yeah, and I I completely agree with you. Uh, And I think it's a real, like the exit strategy of being able to license content would be really, really, really important, especially if you're able to get certified, like, CME credits, continuing education credits using your platform. Now you can start introducing people who are maybe in the medical space who are looking to get their credits. Not only are you empowering them with knowledge, but also you're giving them tools to be able to help other people. Like you were talking about painful period cramps, right? My, my daughter experienced those as well. And I've been giving her, you know, a cannabinoid uh, formulation. We'll call, we'll say okay, a high Dad. CBD. We'll say high CBD, uh, you know, uh, cultivar uh, tincture for many years, but it's been really, really helpful uh, for her. So educating, having, you know, even healthcare professionals being able to look at this platform, learn from this platform, and then be able to take this out and then support their patients. Maybe if they knew this existed, instead of going to hospital and getting your Motrin, maybe they would give them an alternative you're educated. I'm glad you said that. So in our beta, we actually have a medical professional. She's a therapist. So there's a therapist who has been doing our beta app. So we have a private beta because we only have like about 79 people who um, we allowed onto the platform because we want to make it as intimate as possible right now. So I'm having these weekly beta sessions. She's a therapist. And she told me the reason why she signed up for beta is because she realized so many of her clients and patients were very comfortable in telling her about their cannabis usage and how they cope with it. And so she wanted to learn more. So I'm so glad that you said that because that is absolutely true. I also had an engineer who is a beta tester. She is a science engineer and herself said that she felt that she needed to learn more about the plant and how her body interacts with it. So we're getting people who have a high level of intelligence and education who are signing up to be beta testers. So this is telling me that, and then let me make you laugh too. We're also getting people who are in their 60s who are saying, I want to learn more about this plant. So we're dealing with the generational learning curve as well. We're teaching people that are from millennials, baby boomers, Gen Z, Generation X. It's been over 100 years of prohibition and we have a lot of unlearning to do in terms of the stigma. And this is on a global scale. We're also looking into making sure that we create content that are in different languages. I think Asia is going to be one of the biggest markets in the world. So we want to make sure that we're at the forefront and we're creating educational content in languages that they can understand. That's great. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Thailand just went legal. There's a tr- yep. so much momentum. Can you imagine uh, the tourism there. in Thailand with cannabis? Like, oh my god. Well, it, it's starting now. So I just uh, we just did a deal with a, a company in Thailand that is going to be a resort, and wow. they're introducing you know like our DNA tests, uh, so they can get a personalized experience for people that go into the resort. And everything is going to be personal based on their genetics and everything else. And we're going to give them a biometric device to measure how well uh, their their sleep quality is based on the products that are getting their personalized to them. So it's a fully personalized approach and they're That's building dope. it into the resort in Thailand. I, I, need, uh, um, what? I need 
know. I, I want to visit. Like, let me know when they're open. That sounds yeah, like a dream let, yeah. They're 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 opening. They're opening now. I'll send you. I'll send Please. you their, their deck. Yeah. So it's happening all over the world. I mean, in Brazil, it's it's exploding right now. We're doing so much work in Brazil, and Brazil is an interesting com- uh, country because it allows doctors have to prescribe cannabis. Then when they prescribe cannabis, the patient needs to show a digital prescription and then get it fulfilled at a pharmacy. And uh, like in Germany, Germany actually has insurance reimbursement. So the way that it works in Germany is you have one form. It's, it's a global form. You go through the website and it says your doctor recommends cannabis. They tried one other product or something else that didn't work. And these are qualifying conditions. Once they recommend cannabis and it's a qualifying condition, then it goes out to the insurance company. The insurance company then pre-approves you, goes back, says approved. And from a drop down, you can pick the different ratios of cannabinoids. And then you have to come back to the doctor and report back how it's working for you. So all over the world, there's all this innovation. And we're sitting in the the country that's leading the whole thing, uh, we don't know what we're doing state from, from state to state. It's, a, it's just a ridiculous model that yeah. it's going to have to change at a federal level for us to be able to do all these great innovations that you want to do, that we want to do, and you know to lift everybody along with all that. Absolutely. And that's why I think like eventually when we start creating content in different languages, especially like Spanish, Spanish is one of the biggest languages in the world. And having and being able to create cannabis educational content in Spanish, in Portuguese, in Haitian Creole, in French, in languages that people can understand and they can really engage and relate to. Every single time someone writes me, and, and what I love most about building this company for the last couple of months is people always send me emails and be like, hey, you've inspired me to do this. Or I had a guy that wrote me and told me he quit his job after he read my Twitter thread. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. Love that. Inspire <laughs> people. Started a cannabis in. podcast. Go bring people into <laughs> cannabis. I'm, I'm all for that. Come on in. We can I use love it. it. <clears throat> all right. So I have a few questions for you that I ask all my guests. And uh, um, I, I always say, these are difficult, so get ready. I'm not going to say this. I just said it. And I'm not going to say this. <laughs> no, they're just fun questions, whatever. Um, so you already started alluding to one about being a late bloomer to cannabis consumption. So uh, please describe your first experience with cannabis. So like my first experience. So even though I was a late bloomer at 25, I tried cannabis well before that, of course. Okay. And so school. were you the one that had smoked a joint? I didn't like it. I never went back to that. You didn't even really i think i didn't inhale like i just i was like i was trying to be cool you know i was just in school as my friends were doing it and you know we upstairs in the drama room the theater room in school wasn't supposed to be doing it but like i just felt like it didn't hit me i probably because i didn't inhale it i didn't know what i was doing i'm literally what 16 years old in the 10th, 10th 11th grade i don't know what the hell i was doing <laughs> so my first time, like, I was very confused. Like, and then um, I think for me, because <laughs> so when I was younger and I used to, my my godmother used to smoke like probably like five packs of cigarettes a damn day. So when I was younger and I used to sleep at her house one day, like I would, when she wasn't home, I took one of her cigarettes and I tried to smoke it. 
<laughs> and I almost <sighs> died. And it was ever <laughs> since that day, I like kind of swore off smoking. And I was like, oh my God, this is disgusting. Why do people do this? So I think that probably was in the back of my mind when I tried cannabis. And like, I just never had a relationship with it until I turned 25. So how was that the first time that you actually, uh, you know, got elevated? The first time I actually got elevated. So like, it's a family affair, first and foremost. Like everybody in my family smokes. And so I was the late bloomer. I was the last one to smoke with them. My sister smokes, my brother smokes. Hell, um, my brother's uh, mother-in-law, granny smokes. Like we be smoking together. Um, so the first time I smoked was with my siblings, actually, and they actually taught me, like, how to properly inhale and, like, and it was a good experience, you know? It was a lot of laughter, a lot of munchies afterwards, um, but it was good because I was with people that I love. Love that. Um, so I'm a big music, uh, person. Do you remember what the very first concert that you ever attended was? Absolutely. I was in the eighth grade. It was the screen tour for Bow Wow, Pretty Ricky, Mario, um, B2K. And I was in the eighth grade. This is like 2003 when I had the, when I had the, um, did I have a BBM? No, I had the sidekick. No, not a sidekick. <laughs> I think I had an Excel around that time. But yeah, I had my little beeper, my little there two-way beeper. Yep. Bow Wow. <laughs> Bow Wow was oh, my first concert. What, what was what was the last concert you attended? Beyonce, of course. Queen Mother. <laughs> um, what what about music wise? Do you remember like the first album you you purchased or? Uh, um, the or first album I ever purchased was Three LW. It was a oh, it wow. was a music group, a R and B music group. It was three LW. That was the first album I ever purchased. Yeah, I remember those. I used and to be honest, like, I listen to everything. Like I don't have no like preference for genre. Like my boyfriend's a musician. He's a producer. He makes music. Okay, he makes beats. Got it. So Beats. like musically, like I listen to everything. Like I will listen so, to. All right. So turn us on. What are you What are you listening to today? That's, uh, that's um, yeah. Joni Mitchell, Janis Joplin. I listen to Luther Vandross. Definitely love me some trap music. So Young Thug, Gunna. Um, <laughs> I listen to everything. Hell, I listen to Justin Bieber. I'm in love with Passenger. Passenger is another group I absolutely adore because um, I love acoustic music. Love Ed Shireen. Yeah. I am a Swifty. I do like Taylor Swift. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I won't hold it against you. Sorry. My daughter listens to it. Wait, I went to see Taylor Swift several times. Sorry. I love her. I absolutely love Taylor Swift. But I like a lot of old school music too. So like I love, you know, especially Joni Mitchell. Like, that's my girl. I absolutely love me some Joni Mitchell. Love that. Um so what has cannabis meant in your life? I feel like cannabis is like it's so many things to me. It's, it's that thing that when I, I wake up in the morning and I smoke, you know, cause I got like a schedule. So I wake up in the morning by 5am. It's that pick me up. I smoke. And then I go to the gym after the gym, you know, I'd be having my midday smoke around lunchtime. <laughs> then, you know, for my nightcap, I go to sleep and like, that's, I have my smoke around the evening for me it's spiritual for me it's a lifestyle for me it's medicine it's so many things for me and i feel like 
for so many people, it overlaps too. It's so many things for them. They use it recreationally. They use it socially. And for me, it's the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hopefully you're consuming different types of uh, cultivars or chemovars morning, day, I and night. I wish. Florida doesn't have the best weed. I, I know. I was just, I was, I was celebrating my 50th birthday in Miami. 50? You don't look 50? That's right. I'm 50. Uh -uh. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) So I was celebrating my 50th there and I was, we were getting some, uh, uh, some cannabis there. And I was like, man, the selection is not, I'm spoiled in LA. You are like, you are spoiled. Like when I went to LA for the first time, when I finally went into a dispensary the first time and I went to LA for the first time, I'm like, damn, Florida is trash. Like we just don't. And then the thing about Florida, like ain't, there's no strand. Yeah. Like they're not telling you the strand. It's like we got we have fire. We have this. They're not telling yeah, well, you the strand. Well, so I'll tell you it doesn't even matter. So I'll, I'll give you something. The only thing that matters is the ratio of cannabinoids and a terpene profile. So if you know what aligns with you and when to take it, it the name of the strain or a cultivar or anything, it doesn't really matter. So if you look at the test results of anything, Look at the cannabinoid ratios that's important to you. And the terpene profiles are the secret sauce. Those are the essential oils that actually work in concert and help you create an experience that's more aligned with you that you're looking for. And if you like get rid of the names and all that stuff, it'll be much better for the whole industry that we know exactly where we're taking. It doesn't matter where it is in Florida, in LA, in New York, at least it's there's some consistency. But when we call something Blue Dream, this blue dream is different from dispensary to the dispensary, from grow to grow, from state to state. We got to stop using that stuff. So and see, these my- are the things that we want to teach on Candolution. We want to yeah. make sure that people are learning about these type of things because the average, listen, the average consumer, and that's why in Florida, people don't know what they're smoking because they're not educated about it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I agree. Um, okay, bonus question. Okay. You qualify. <laughs> Please describe what your room looked like growing up. <laughs> it was me and my sister. <laughs> so it was me and my sister. Um, it wasn't that big. Her bed was on one side. My bed was on the other side. And then we had a little small box TV for us to watch the box music channel. <laughs> I, love the, um, I love the box. We had wood. Do you remember how they used to put wood... Um, it's like, I forgot how that wood is called. It's like that pine wood with the black lining in the middle. That's what yeah. we had inside of the room. We had all the line. The walls were wood. Um, yeah, paneling. It's like paneling. Yeah, wood it's panels. like this panel wood. Like yeah. we, like, mind you, we've lived in the same house for almost 30 years. Um, I moved to North Miami. Ex- yeah, we moved to North Miami around like 1995, 1994 when my parents bought this house. And like... Yeah, our room looked crazy. It was nothing but posters, a lot of wrap-up posters. Um, I used to take the covers of albums and put them on my wall sometimes. So tell me what you got. Get more specific. I want to um, know what posters definitely you Tony, um, at Tony Braxton. You know, I was a big Mariah Carey fan, too. Like, Mariah and Whitney were my girls. I was so in love with Genuine. Oh my gosh. Like there was uh, bringing back memories. Definitely hella posters. Yeah. I mean, it was a typical girl's room. My sister was in love with immature. So there was a lot of immature. 
<laughs> Got it. Yeah, posters all over your And Word yeah, Up Magazine. Of course. Uh, it's interesting because, like, you, you hear some people who are – I ask this question of uh, everybody in there. You hear some people who are really into music and stuff. We're like, no, we couldn't have any posters in the wall. We couldn't have anything in the wall. Our parents didn't let us. I'm like, man, you missed out. I had posters all over my wall, too. Oh, no, my parents. I had, you know what? I had very, for my parents to be baby boomers, and, you know, they were from Haiti and stuff, because, you know, Haitians be tough. They were actually pretty cool. Like, my dad was really dope. Yeah. I give That's them great. that. That's great. Uh, Martine, where can people find you, uh, your app, uh, contact you on social? Let people know where they can get in contact with you. Absolutely. So you can actually sign up for our wait list and from canalution.app. That's spelled C-A-N-N-A-L-U-T-I-O-N dot app. And you can also find us on social media at Candolution University for Instagram and on Twitter, it's Candolution U. And for my personal um, social media, you can find me at my name, Martine Francis Pierre on Instagram. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. I definitely enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down. down.